To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody, this is Todd Perry, and you're listening to What's This Dow All About? And you know that because you just heard the intro. But uh, with me is Dr. Carl Totten. Pleasure hello, to be. Hello, everybody. Pleasure so to good be. To see you. Pleasure to be speaking to you virtually with me in my man cave here in Long Beach, and you in your uh, at the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood. Yes, I'm in my office and. Um, Spending a lot of time in front of screens these days. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I hate it. I was, you know, I've really taken to reading during this time. Uh, I, fin- I finished a big, thick book on the Marx Brothers mm. and then one on the Rolling Stones about mm. them making their Exile on Main Street record. But I was like, there's something really soothing about putting your eyes to a grainy piece of paper that just feels so much better than staring at a screen. Yeah, it really does. You know, I've been, I, you know, I, I teach, you know, classes here and, you know, Tai Chi and whatnot. And, you know, we're, we're doing all of our classes, uh, you know, virtually, you know, we're doing them on Zoom. Uh, we can see the students, they can see us. And so <laughs> that, that really hasn't changed. But I've, I've been reading, buying more books and reading more than ever also. And I read a lot anyway, you know, you know being a, you know, university professor and, you know, chair of a department of psychology for so many years. You know, I have to do a lot of reading. You know, with my students and so on. And um, but the the one of the books I just got yesterday was an original first edition of a book by Huey P. Newton, oh, the Black Panther, the founder of the Black Panthers, Revolutionary Suicide. <laughs> oh wow! How's that? Powerful. Oh, was that man smart? Yeah. You know, I, I had, I had either I had forgotten or did never realized, you know, that Huey Newton, along with Angela Davis, you know, another famous revolutionary from those days. Oh yeah. He he had a PhD from the University of California. Oh, Berkeley. I think from Santa Cruz, maybe. Oh wow. And uh, you know, like. Dr. Angela Davis, you know, these were highly, highly educated uh, you know, individuals. And reading this book, oh my goodness, you know, the man's level of consciousness was really amazing. Wow. But, but, but you know what he said was the underpinning of all that he did was love. Love mm. for humanity, love for his community, and that love brings forth a certain responsibility to make sure that the as as kind of Martin Luther King said, you know, the arrow of the the bow of time bends towards justice and equality. Right. <laughs> you know, very powerful. Very, wow. very powerful. 
I'm reading about the Marx Brothers and you reading about a Black Panther. I feel like I'm intellectually short, short selling myself right now. Well, no. Well, um, humor is very important. Yes. <laughs> Certain, particularly these days, you know, where, you know, just going outside your house, going to a, a store or something, you know, has become kind of a traumatic experience, I think, for all of us. You know? Yeah. Everyone's you know, wearing masks and being careful, social distancing. <laughs> you know, that's tense. And, you know, you get you, you get used to wearing the protect, protective equipment and the gloves and the whole And I went in the store the other day and I just wore my mask and I didn't, I didn't bring gloves. Uh, and then I felt like I was naked. <laughs> you know, you just quickly adapt to this stuff and you're like, oh, my God. Well, it's like I was in the store. Did I tell you? Did I talk about this on, on the last show? Please tell me if I did. I forget what I talk about with <laughs> with you on the show versus. And I'm in the I'm in the supermarket, and this woman is she's got her mask on, no gloves, but and she's she grabs like a piece of broccoli and she like inspects it, puts it up to her face. Now moves that broccoli <laughs> over, takes it. She touches every. Thing of broccoli on there, <laughs> oh and then goodness. she touches every piece of bok choy, and then she goes through. <laughs> and I swear, she touched like fifty pieces of produce and bought seven of them. And I'm sitting there like looking at her, and I'm like, "Do I say something?" You know? And I'm looking around at other people. You know, you do that thing where you go, "Anybody seeing this? <laughs> Is anybody seeing what's happening?" But it was like I was like outraged. But yes, wow. um, that that <laughs> woman should be. Uh, should be in her backyard with her own plot, growing her own food. <laughs> yeah. hey, don't touch mine, you know. Like, oh Lord, uh, what a crazy time, you know. But we will, we will get past this, and we will tell tell stories one day to our. Uh, Remember what, who was it? Gloria Gaynor. I will survive, right? <laughs> oh, she did a video of her washing her hands. This was at the beginning where everybody was trying to tell each other to wash their hands, and she was she did a video of herself singing "I will survive" washing her hands. I that's it, great. <laughs> it filled me with such joy. I don't know what it was. I was like, made me so happy to see that. It was like, oh my god, this is, you know, during tough times there are there are moments of. Of joy and you know, that's one of my that's one of my favorite old uh, disco so songs. She was great. <laughs> oh, that's such a great song. That that I'm. How many people have gotten over a breakup or whatever just listening to that? Oh, millions. Yeah, there's a band called Cake that did a, a cover of that, and the bass line was just incredible. But anyway. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh yeah, we have a YouTube page. So if you could please, if you like the show could you please subscribe to it because it's good for us uh if we have more subscribers um for the people at youtube to recognize us uh and then also you know if you uh don't have access to the show or whatever but you have your tv on you want to throw us in the background uh check us out on youtube we have some audio clips up there and of course for a 35 dollar donation we flog this I, I almost feel bad talking about it <laughs> you get three Guided Meditations by Dr. Carl Totten and an episode we've never done before. And you can just hit the donate button on our website and that helps us uh, keep this thing going because it take, does take a certain amount of time, money, effort, and parts of our brainwaves to uh, send this out <laughs> to the world. So a little bit of financial help is always kind of awesome. It's called sharing the wealth. That's right. In fact, I just had another idea, Todd, just this moment. Ooh. You know, since we have a YouTube page, which can also be a visual uh, you know my uh, daily gong where i teach the, the you know the that little gu gu meditation 
Yes. You know, the Qigong and the meditation, maybe you should pin that there and people can go right there and uh, have a daily practice with me in kind of Taoist yoga and meditation. We will definitely do that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I just thought of that right now. Good. I'll put that, uh, uh, listen back to the show and go, oh, do that. Okay. <laughs> it's nice to have these things recorded. Um, so on today's show, we're going to talk about ambiguity. Hmm. And we've got some listener mail about teaching. And we've got chapter 74 of the Tao Te Ching. So, uh, you know, as we're recording this and everything, we're on lockdown. You know, um, the future is uncertain. Like we have we have no no one, I think, that even, you know, the the amazing Crespin or whatever would could tell us what the <laughs> heck the world's going to look like in the next three weeks, let alone three months, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we are all in a state where we do not know what's going to happen next, um, which is, I mean, in a certain way, a state that we're always in. Um, but I found that the Taoist philosophy is particularly good at giving people peace in this time because Taoism is kind of all about ambiguity. Uh, it sees most situations as kind of ambiguous um, and that's kind of best talked about by the Taoist proverb of the farmer. And so there, there's an old story about a farmer who had worked his crops for many years. And one day his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. Such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Maybe, the farmer replied. The next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbors exclaimed. Maybe replied the old man. The following day, his son tried to ride one of these untamed horses, was thrown, and broke his leg. The neighbors again came to offer sympathy for what they called his misfortune. Maybe, answered the farmer. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out. Maybe, said the farmer. <laughs> so, like, Taoists don't embrace, like, black and white thinking, whereas other philosophies or religions or whatever, like, this good, this bad, you know, thou shalt not kill, you know, thou shalt not steal. Think, well, what if I stole medication that would keep my mother alive from the pharmacist? Would that be that bad? <laughs> or what if a guy was gunning down people, like, on a mass shooter, and you shot him? Killing might be good then, you know. Um, you know, lots of things are kind of nebulous when we really look at them. And I think Taoism is is almost about having a wholehearted embrace and saying that it's ridiculous to that you know names are not the thing. The thing is much more kind of gooey and wiggly, as uh, Alan Watts would say. Um, and that we should embrace this kind of a thing of ambiguity. Um, so I wanted to ask your thoughts on that. Dr. Totten, and also if you think that the state of mind to have black and white thinking, good, bad, right, wrong, short is worse than long, um, you know, it, ugly is worse than beautiful, all, all these 
these kind of things, is that a natural way that man thinks, or are we being conditioned to that, or is it natural to be the Tao way? I don't. I have a whole bunch of questions, Dr. Totten, so please, <laughs> illuminate us, will you? <laughs> you know, it's been said that in nature, everything finds its own level. And so, you know, the, the, the mountain doesn't criticize or judge the river because it's so lowly down there. And the river isn't judging the mountain because it's uh, stuck and cannot move around <laughs> like the yeah. river can. <laughs> you know, everything has its time and place and way of being. And as long as that way of being is in a tune with its nature, with its natural state, everything is fine. Our task, of course, is to find our natural nature because in you know, trying to conquer nature, which is what we certainly have done throughout, you know, the centuries and definitely here in the West. You know, we want to kind of, you know, cut down the forest so that we can have the wood or, you know, f do fracking in the ground, you know, so that we can have more resources. And But there's an effect of all these things. And, uh, and as the population gets, you know, larger and larger, what was it at the beginning of the 1900s? What were there maybe a billion people on the planet? And now a hundred and whatever years later, there's what, seven, eight billion? I don't know. Wow. You know, and, and that leads And to, birth control was introduced during this time. And still, we're, we're still uh, making babies more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. And, and, of course, that's very controversial, too, you know. Oh. You know, and so, you know, it's like we, we, we haven't quite figured out what this whole thing about balance, we, we, it, 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 it has eluded us. And I think that because it's, it's, it's so dependent on what's natural at a, at a given time and place and for a given entity, again, the mountain or the river, you know, I think that we have struggled to try and make it more... Um, uh, certain by having mm -hmm. black and white rules and regulations. You know, uh, do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. This right, this wrong. Because that gives, uh, it, it allows us to have maybe kind of a false sense of certainty about the world because we've created a false set of dichotomies in our own brain and then we try to rigidly adhere to it. And if we mm. are a religious authority, we might put it in writing. <laughs> you know, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. And, and, and expect that to last for millennia. When, again, it, it may be very well dependent on specific time, place, and like you said, the circumstances. You know? yeah. And so I, I think that we're often trying to fit, you know, around, you know, square pegs into round holes <laughs> mm -hmm. because we don't know the whole scope of the situation. We know we don't always perceive the bigger picture, if you will. Now, the bigger picture and how things change with time tends to come over time, just like in that wonderful story about the, you know, the farmer, you know, you know, what seemed to be a a problem at first, you know, a, a misfortune, suddenly the next day, oh, 
how fortunate. And but the farmer going, oh well, maybe <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, farmer was a great Taoist, wasn't he? Yeah, you know? because and, he, and, he and, was you know, willing can, to oh. just wait things out and, and see what happens. And you can, I mean, you could you could do this farmer story, you know, back to the Big Bang. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we really know what was fortunate or uh, you know, uh, or unfortunate? Things just keep rolling out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, we're dealing with this, uh, the COVID-19. And yes, it feels unfortunate right now. Obviously, people have lost lives and, and all this stuff. But what is humanity going to be in a year? We might have we might learn some serious lessons about our relationship to nature, our relationship to, you know, consumerism, mm-hmm. uh, all these things. We, there might be kind of a, a change in human consciousness. You know, I'm. You know, always, you always talk about having a kind of a revolution of unity consciousness. Uh, I, I doubt that will happen, but maybe people's lives being really upended. Many people, I think, get a, a real understanding of what's important. You know, um, I think it, it people's priorities change. You know, mm-hmm. what 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 we used to have in some ways seems excessive and decadent mm-hmm. when you're just you're. You're basically just living, you know, uh, caring for your family and doing, you know, living a smaller life. Not to say that we should all, you know, um, you know, get naked and run and live in the trees. But (laughs) why not? Right. But hey, be like a chimp. That's right. That's right. Hey, oh, you, by the you, way, you did. I, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say you did interview the, the famous woman. <laughs> I did interview Jane Goodall for wow. a for Good magazine. You can go to www.good.is and read my interview with her. And I actually have an audio clip of it. So I have. I did a. I don't know if I, you know it's cleared for broadcast. I guess she did the interview. You know what? Here I'm going to edit in real quick a little bit of me talking with Jane Goodall. Um, it, there's a, a big theme running through the documentary is that there is a disconnect between human beings and nature. Why do you believe that humans have such a hard time connecting with that, realizing we're both kind of part of the animal kingdom and part of nature? What, what do you attribute that to? Well, I think that um, a lot of it was originally to do with religion mm. because. Uh, you know, man was given dominion over the birds and the bees and the this, that, and the other. So people translated that as they could do what they liked. They were superior. In fact, it's a wrong translation of the original Hebrew word, which was um, steward, stewardship mm. rather than dominion. We're very different. Um, also, you know, more and more people are now living in cities. And it's very hard for some children to connect with nature. But if a young child gets the chance, you find almost all of them are absolutely fascinated. So this is what we're doing in our Roots and Shoots program, you know, helping to connect children with nature, helping people to understand we're part of the natural world, we're not separated from it. We depend on it for food and water and clean air and forests are regulating the temperature and the rainfall. And we continue destroying it to our peril. Uh, yeah, that's, it's that this lack of respect for, for um, the environment and animals that's led to this, this 
some pandemic. And this pandemic was predicted years and years and years ago in a book called Spillover by David Quinn. Spillo? And Spillover. Oh, Spillover, okay. So a gene um, spilling over, a virus, I mean, a virus spilling over from an animal into a human. So it happened with SARS and MERS and several other epidemics, but people didn't listen, they didn't learn the lesson, and they went on, you know, with this bush meat in the African markets, there's the wet market selling live animals in uh, Asia, there's the hunting, which is all over the United States, parts of Europe, there's the intensive animal farms, where animals are often in horrible, cruel, and unhygienic conditions and all those things are a perfect chance for a virus to jump over into a human. Now, do you think that um, given that obviously this is a great example that shows the interconnectedness, A, of man to nature, B, of man to man, you know, uh, as it travels across the world, do you think that'll inspire some kind of renaissance where people wake up to their connection that they've been missing? Well, I'm praying. I think many, many people I've spoken to do see this as a point in time when we could change the way we do business. Um, unfortunately, with some of the leaders, of, and, uh, you know, in power in many countries at the moment, I'm really afraid that it will be back to business as usual as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people have now for the first time realized what it's like to live in a city and be able to breathe the air without getting sick and to see the stars at night, um, to see nature coming back. So nature's been given a breathing space. It just shows how well it would do if we weren't here. Uh, um, oh, wasn't that great, Dr. Totten? <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, I have admired her forever, you know, uh, you know, when I watch clips of her with her chimps, it's just uh, it's just heartwarming. You know that she. I mean, you, you talk about being an animal whisperer. <laughs> She's the ultimate, you know, chimpanzee whisperer for sure. She said something. She says, you know, I don't interact with a chimpanzee with my words. She goes, I interact with my mind. Hmm. She says, I mentally communicate with them, and I was like, whoa. Hmm. That is next level, you know, uh, abilities and an and ability to empathize and get on the same level with another species is just incredible. Some people have that gift, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, obviously or they, they learn it. But she you know, was, you know, you were talking, you mentioned about that unity consciousness. And I think that, you know, one of the things I think that this uh, worldwide crisis is going to teach us is that. First of all, we're all very interconnected, obviously. Oh, geez. (laughs) And what's happening over there can affect me (laughs) over here. And and I think that leads to a a, 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 a kind of an understanding of the nature of unity consciousness that we really all are connected. That you know the the, you know the rising tide lifts all the the ships, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And 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 how I live. Or and the choices that I make actually affect other people's lives and health, 
And and so if that is the message that the kind of the meta message that we as a species, a human species, can take from this, that you know, we really need to be concerned with with the planet, you know, mother you know, Mother Earth, as the indigenous people talk about you know, father's sky, father's sun. You know, we need to take care of the air and the water and the birds and the plants and the trees. And, you know, we need to make sure that everybody has enough to, you know, to eat and to, uh, you know, to live on. Because, you know, there, but for the the grace of the Tao, you know, go yeah. on, right? And And so that's feeling of gratitude and nurturing that sense of gratitude by being responsive, responsible to ourselves and to others all around the planet, if that is the kind of the meta takeaway that we get, then that might actually be one of the more positive outcomes from this entire experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. You know, I always say, wait and see. Time will tell. It mm-hmm. always does. <laughs> Maybe, answered the farmer. <laughs> All right, let's get to some listener mail. Okay. Cue the listener mail theme. <laughs> and I, I always keep the compliment in the in the listener mail. Of course. Absolutely love your show. I find it such a grounding thing for me in my moments of confusion and uncertainty. I'm a teacher, so when I read or hear a passage of the Tao Te Ching about politics and leadership, I naturally think about the role that a teacher plays in the classroom. Over the decades, there have been various ideas about teaching philosophies, classroom management techniques, and instructional styles. Of course, there's a different style for every teacher, as the Tao would suggest. But do you think there are any overarching precepts when it comes to incorporating Taoism into the teacher-student relationship? Thank you for what you do, and may the Tao be with you, Zach. And so I thought, good Lord, we have Dr. Carl Totten here, who is an educator of the mind, an educator of the body through Kung Fu, and an educator <laughs> of the spirit through his embrace of Taoism. So obviously this is the perfect question for you, and I will shut my mic off. <laughs> you know, I, I told our uh, uh, listener, uh, of, of course, we really appreciate him asking the question, listening to the show. And it's interesting that just that very, you know, and he's a teacher and I'm a teacher. And I just came across that very day, that very morning, when I read his um, email, an article called 25 Things That Should Be Taught in Schools But Aren't. (laughs) And so I sent him a a link to that um, article because I think those 25, like, life skills I think are really important. And uh, let me just kind of review a a couple of them. Sure. Uh, One was individual thought. Instead of just regurgitating what other people have said or kind of subscribing to groupthink, you know, we should have our own mind and, you know, look at the evidence and come to our own decisions. That should be taught in school. I don't know that it is so much. Uh, Another thing, that was number one. Number two was personal finance, saving, and budgets. Oh, is that not pertinent today? <laughs> oh, well, but I mean, you know, if the schools teach us how to manage our money, then 
would destroy the economy. People would stop <laughs> buying useless junk, right? <laughs> a financially literate society isn't like, you know, I'm going to spend $200,000 on a Range Rover, you know, or a Land Rover or something. Yeah, so uh, number three was health and nutrition. Oh, is that not important <laughs> these days? Self-care and nutrition. But if uh, we all, then, what, then we're going to stop eating junk food, Dr. Cotton. <laughs> yeah, and then we will we'll stop uh, running to uh, doctors and getting sick and... Uh, now back to budgeting. Uh, I've said before that the number one reason for bankruptcy in the United States is medical bills. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with stress, uh, improper nutrition and eating, and improper lifestyle. Uh, all of those decisions are in our own hands. So that's another great point in these twenty-five things that should be taught in school. And a couple more. One is resiliency and failing gracefully. Mm. You know, uh, failure is inevitable. And so I like to tell people, no, you didn't fail. That was just practice. <laughs> right. And you learned that, oh, not that way. Let me try another way. That's all. That way you never fail. You just learn no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then one more, survive, or two more. One is cooking from scratch. That's a, a, a seriously needed lost art, <laughs> and it overlaps with health, budget, and survival. And I was an EMT. I was licensed as an EMT for 30 years. Oh. And so I've seen a lot of first aid situations. And so I really think it's important for everybody to learn something about uh, survival and first aid. And again, I'd like to see that uh, taught in school to, to everyone. And then I keep saying only one more, one more. Well, this one I have to mention, self-defense, <laughs> since I teach self-defense. And that includes situational awareness, knowing how to improvise, because unfortunately we live in a world where people do like to take advantage of others. They like to uh, accost and uh, rob people on the streets and uh, do various types of violence, whether it's domestic violence or other types of just improper behaviors has been around for thousands and thousands of years on this planet. And so mm -hmm. I really think that if we know something about self-defense, we feel better, we're more aware of and cognizant of our environment, and we don't take unnecessary chances because our perceptual situational awareness is very high if you um, have studied martial arts. That's a skill that we teach all of our students for sure. So uh, that may, maybe that might be another link we might put, uh, you know, on our uh, website or somewhere to this great article about the 25 things that we should have learned in school but didn't. And then the then the second thing that I said to our listener was that by the way I'm writing a book which has a similar topic. <laughs> my my book is called Everything You Should Have Learned in Kindergarten but Didn't. Right. <laughs> P.S. It's never too late. It's and, true. And some of the things that I put in there, you know, there were themes. And number one was, you know, life isn't always fair. <laughs> mm -mm. And people get very upset because they perceive that life isn't fair. But I said, you know, that's okay. Just relax and enjoy it anyway. Take what you get and don't take what you don't get. I call this the reality principle. You know, 
you know, you know, life is about balance and about homeostasis and, you know, that bending of the bow that we talked about, uh, you know, from uh, Lao Tzu, you know, so that, you know, everybody gets what they need. And if we're in a period of time where we aren't getting what we need, well, then we need to cultivate and save and, you know, maybe change our methods so that later we do get what we need. Mm -hmm. And if we do have what we need, well, maybe we can share with others so that they have some of what they need, too. So... It's a matter. It's all a matter of our attitude, you know, how we look at things. Um, another thing that I put in my everything you should have learned in kindergarten but didn't was that just because something makes sense doesn't mean it's always right. Yeah. You know, you know sometimes things make logical sense, you know, to the left brain, but it doesn't make sense in the bigger picture because maybe there's some compassion left out. Uh, maybe we haven't really considered the effect that our selfish choice will have on the greater good, the greater life of other people uh, elsewhere. You know, uh, you know, if if I decide that you know I want to have my way, well, maybe that might make it more uh, tough for other people. So you know, we need to be able to kind of look around. And, you know, one of the points that I have in here is that we should cooperate with others but compete with ourselves. You know, we're mm. all in this together. It's kind of a cooperation theme. You know, we should, you know, rather than look at others and say, oh, I want to be better than them, I want to have more than them, you know, I, I want to make them look bad by making myself look good. You know, we have enough limitations probably of our own to just look at ourselves and, and take an honest inventory. You know, what do they say in AA? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous about taking that fearless personal inventory. It's one mm -hmm. of the uh, 12 steps, I think, <laughs> you know, and then decide, you know, what can I do to improve myself, my life and the lives of the people around me? Um, another one of my things in my lessons we should have learned in kindergarten is that children are here to be seen and heard. You know, turning that old <laughs> saw on its head, children are not to be, are, are here to be seen but not heard. Uh, no, they're to be seen and heard. You yes. know, we need to help our children learn to see themselves as special and valued just for being who they are. You know? Definitely. You know, I say in here, you know, your parents are doing or did, you know, the best that they could. And it's okay if they aren't know. perfect. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be perfect, a perfect daddy, uh, Todd. You're doing the best that you can. And you know what? It all comes out in the wash. You know, as long as you have good intention, you know, the old hippie saying, where are you coming from, man? You know, yeah. as long as you're coming from, you know, a, a, a good, compassionate place, you know, you may make little mistakes here and there, but that's okay. Because another one of my principles is that, you know, it's okay if you're not perfect. Just be the best you can moment by moment. But that doesn't mean you can't get better. You know, we can. Yeah. I, I kind of see it as life is like golf. Like, I'm just trying to beat my score from last week. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know, I shot a 32 on the front nine. Okay, can I get that to a 29 versus, you know, what's, 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 what's my buddy shooting that I'm playing with? You know, unless it's for money. But, you know, and like, there's an old <laughs> saying, I saw, it was like an athlete saw it and said, get 1% better every day. Mm -hmm. And that's a small thing. But over the course of 100 days, right? Yes. Yes. A gong. <laughs> yes. You know, a period of time where we commit ourselves for self-improvement every day without fail for 100 days. 
Because the only way to change is to do something different that's healthy every day for a hundred days because then it will probably become ingrained and become a new habit. Mm-hmm. And we tend to repeat things that we've done, you know, for years and years. But if we intentionally, with a conscious choice, do something new and different and healthy for a hundred days, then that will tend to actually begin to extinguish even years of bad habits and replace it with a good, uh, more positive and constructive habit. Yeah. I think that's a, a really important thing for us to uh, do, particularly these days when you have so many people who are just kind of stuck at home. <laughs> well, it's a it's an empowering thing to think that in the course of three months, I can completely, you know, change my life. You know, that's that's a good bet to take, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's move on to Chapter 74 of the Tao Te Ching. Mm. Would you like to read this, Dr. Chap- yes, yeah. chapter 74. Lao Tzu says, If men are not afraid to die, it is no avail to threaten them with death. If men live in constant fear of dying, and if breaking the law means that a man will be killed, who will dare to break the law? There is always an official executioner. If you try to take his place, it's like trying to be a master carpenter and cutting wood. If you try to cut wood like a master carpenter, you will only hurt your hand. Ooh. <laughs> this one, when I first read it, I kind of took one thing from it. But then I started reading um, kind of Taoist scholarly takes on this. And it's interesting it was, it, it, that this, this is actually about judgment is what, is what I, I came to. Um, I guess and it was Derek Lin was saying that historically in China there was capital punishment, you know, um, but it didn't stop people from committing crimes because the people uh, who were committing the crimes weren't afraid to die. Right. Right. So if the guy just doesn't give a whatever, um, there's no law or anything that can prevent them from doing what they do. Um, and so he was saying that. Um, also, um, in this, you know, they're talking about there's always an official executioner. If you try to take his place, it'll be like, you know, being a master carpenter cutting wood and you'll only hurt your hand. Mm -hmm. And then this was basically saying, it's not our job or it's not, you know, my job, it's not your job to be out there judging people and passing judgment on other people's situations because... Uh, it will in, in the end it will hurt us as well, mm-hmm. um, and like the basic idea is of, of the whole passage is a negative approach is rarely effective. So if you try to alter people's behavior through threats, um, judgment, if you're that person in your family who needs to tell everybody who they are and be above them, um, that it's in the end it comes back. There's blowback and it's to, it will hurt you. And it's also, you know, literally it's a thing that's against capital punishment, saying that a state that enacts capital punishment, eventually that harm will be done under that state. It's like the old idea is, you know, you could judge how well developed a country is by the way it treats animals and prisoners. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know, not, not to turn this show into a whole debate against you know about capital punishment, but I I agree with that philosophy. I think it says something about the soul of a a country that uh, a gives people second chances, but also um, can leave people to live you know in confinement or so we're all safe from them and doesn't do the ultimate act of enacting mm-hmm. violence. Um, I think that says a beautiful thing about a people. You know, that reminds me of something just now. Um, you know, my, uh, uh, one of my main uh, martial art teachers, my Kung Fu teacher, he was a Taoist priest uh, from China. When he moved here, he uh, lived with and learned from his very famous uncle, who was a world-famous um, grandmaster of Kung Fu in San Francisco. And uh, this man was revered. Now, he's just a little guy. He's probably five feet tall. But the guy was unbelievably powerful and fast and strong. And uh, people knew not to mess with this guy. But apparently one day in San Francisco in the alley, he saw a man attacking a woman and, with a knife. Oh, and uh, he went up to him and told him, you know, stop. Put down. Don't hurt her. Put down that knife. And the guy turned on him, this world-renowned grandmaster of kung fu, and Ooh. tried to stab him with a knife. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, he was unsuccessful. He did not stab him with a knife. Mm. And instead, the old man took his fingers and thrust it right up to the knuckles inside the guy's abdomen. <laughs> oh, jeez. The guy collapsed, of course, from shock and had serious internal bleeding, and he was going to die. Uh, the, the, literally at the hospital, the doctors said the guy's vital, uh, he was crashing, and they, they couldn't stop this internal bleeding. And so the old man went in there and said, let me try. Here, leave me alone with him. Let me help him. I, I know how, because he's kind of a doctor too, you know, yeah. Chinese, Chinese style. So he went in there, and he used his, his energy, his mind power, and his herbs, and stopped the internal bleeding and the guy and took the guy out of shock and the guy lived wow and 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 even though i said the guy was beating this woman and threatening her with a knife and tried to attack him with a knife he said something very interesting when asked about this episode he said you know only god can take a life <laughs> mm. That's the official executioner, right? Not, right, not, right. not he said, not me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> only God can take the life. Wow, that's powerful. You know, that's powerful. So you know, death, as we know, is a natural process. That's what I think Lao Tzu meant when he says, you know, there's always an official executioner, and we're not to take its place, or we may wind up injuring ourselves by breaking the harmony of nature, which ultimately regulates life and death. You know, when I was young, I had a great fear of death and probably of really living authentically, too, by the way. <laughs> mm. But then in my youth, you know, in my teen, later teen years, I read a book that immediately allowed me to cease fearing death. And the book was Robert Monroe's classic book on out-of-body experiencing or astral travel called Journeys Out of the Body. You know, that book was sold millions. And, and then later, I actually went to his institute in Virginia on six separate occasions to take classes there on altered states of consciousness, on moving out of the body, going into the void space, and things like that. You know, in each class, by the way, is six days. And like I said, I've been there like six times so far and plan on going back. An amazing uh, place. 
And the, the great thing is, next time you won't have to pay for airfare because you could just astral project yourself. <laughs> into the, That's yeah. right. 